Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's The Wonky Show. We're talking a new ministerial directive, medical students, strikes, OFS, culture wars and more. It's all coming up. When we talk about universities, it's really important that we actually talk about the fact that these are communities. And why am I, I keep going on about that is that, you know, you have, you, have, um, you have HR professionals, you have finance, you have accountants, you, you, you have um, technicians, you, you have uh, cleaning staff and porterers the full range of, of, of people in, in society. Welcome to The Walkie Show, your weekly way into this week's higher education news policy and analysis. I'm Walkie's editor-in-chief, Mark Leach, and joining me to splash around in the deep end of HE policy, it's three absolute giants of the sector this morning. And on the South Coast, it's former Vice-Chancellor and Director of Leadership Development at Minerva, Mary Stewart. Mary, you're hired for the week, please. Oh, um, actually, Mark, can I have two? Um, I'm just really greedy that way. So the, the the first one is I have to have to say this because you know I'm doing this emerging leaders course for middle managers in higher education, and we had a session yesterday um, which Sunday Blake joined us for, and it was just fabulous. Everyone was blown away with what she talked about in terms of the student belonging work that Wonky had done, and it's really great because this group of people don't know much about. Um, HE policy, so it's great to bring that into a program like that. So that's my one. And my other is it's been beautiful weather down here, absolutely gorgeous, blue, blue skies, cold, but just the reflection on the sea and going for walks at lunchtime, which I can now do, is too gorgeous for words. <laughs> uh, in Hertfordshire is Andy Westwood, Professor of Government Practice at the University of Manchester and other things. Uh, Andy, you're hired of the week. Well, I've desperately tried to think of one, but I haven't got any. It's cold, uh, I'm freezing, and everything in HE policy is making me really, really grumpy. So, watch out. <laughs> and in the Wonky studio, it's Wonky's editor, Debbie McVitie. Debbie, you're hard of the week. Um, uh, well, I'm just really happy to be back at Wonky um, and back um, picking up the threads of higher education policy that have happened. Well, um, for anyone who's not aware, for the last seven months, I've been on maternity leave after having a baby. Um, so, but the, the kind of, I guess, the flip side of that is, is that um, I'm not getting a lot of sleep still right now. So the highlight of my week is the rather excellent coffee that I just consumed to prepare me for, for my re-entry into the world of podcasting. Now, we start the week with the letter from the Minister for Higher Education um, and a bunch of other things besides. Debbie, talk us through uh, what Robert Halfen has to say. So yeah, yesterday, Robert Halfen wrote to vice chancellors. Um, and this is not the sort of ministerial letter that everybody needs to kind of get um, get, get get very worked up about. Um, I've written it up on one corner. It's actually the occasion for it seems to have been um, that there's a bit of concern about what's going to happen with the admissions cycle this year. And, and Halfon has um, flagged a few issues, which we'll talk about, and has also taken the opportunity to um, uh, re- reiterate some of his kind of his key priorities for universities. So the uh worry i think is is that 
you know, after two years of, of uh, admissions chaos uh, with uh, exams being cancelled because of the COVID pandemic, uh, Ofqual in England is planning to return to the kind of, you know, business as usual this year. And the consequence of that is that once again, for universities, it will be rather hard to predict the numbers of ACRs and A's and, 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 and all that sort of thing. So the kind of the pattern of applicants could, could look different again. Um, and Halfon, ahead of, presumably ahead of the January deadline, um, wants to kind of warn vice chancellors and, and by, um, and by proxy there, you know, deans of admissions, that it's, it's, it's going to be another tricky year and to, and to, and to think about things like, uh, admissions to medical schools, for example, because enormously oversubscribed last year. Um, and he's also taken the opportunity to do two things. One is, uh, to remind universities that now that T levels are, are up and running, that, uh, the, those students who are entering university from a T level will need a bit of clarity about, uh, what the entry requirements are and what that progression route looks like. So he's urging vice chancellors to arrange for there to be a statement on, on university websites. And, and actually, I think that sort of seems like a pretty reasonable request in, in the round. Um, the other thing that he's doing, which is a bit of a kind of personal hobby horse of his, is, is urging particularly uh, the most prestigious universities or the more, you know, in our, in our kind of nomenclature, the most uh, selective to explore delivering more degree apprenticeships. Um, and his rationale for this is about, is about social justice and the kind of broadening, broadening the kind of range of, of, uh, of options available and also about, uh, you know, skills, skills for skills for jobs, which, which he's, he's very strong on as well. Um, and so, you know, not, not, nothing to set the rod on fire and, and actually mostly quite sensible stuff. And I'm kind of inclined to see this as, um, as, as, as quite a, a, a useful kind of indicator of, of perhaps a more constructive relationship um, going forward. Um, and I've written on the site about that this morning, um, but others may have different views, of course. Mary, uh, it must be a relief not to have to open your inbox to find letters from, from ministers these days. Um, yeah, it's it it became quite a quite a frequent thing, and and often one's heart sank um, actually. But no, this doesn't sound. It sounds as Debbie was saying. I think a bit like a bit of a reset. It's largely sensible. Um, it's not uh, uninformed. It is, of course, incredibly late to be talking about admissions when um, you know uh, certainly for the sort of institutions that um, the government is often interested in, um, you know, they will not be making many offers post the deadline next week. Um, so that is the only thing that I kind of constantly feel about um, about government is if they want to um, remind people of things like this, they really ought to do it a lot earlier. But of course, in this case, because we kind of keep keep changing ministers and all the rest of it, it, it probably wasn't that possible. Um, but, you know, Robert Holfen is, is a a really rather sensible individual. Um, and I think most of us have kind of welcomed him coming into, into post, actually. Mm. He, he's also signalled that um, he, he's willing to kind of normalise relationships with with NUS as well after. Yeah, after which is, kind of, is good yeah. news um, in 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 their response to the report. Um, uh, we just have to to see um, that followed through and and um, uh, dealt with really. But it is good news, uh, you know, having a break between um, NUS and 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 any. Um, uh, organization but obviously particularly government is it was is is not helpful in that sense mm-hmm. i think we have a clip of that here it is speaker when i met with jewish students studying in universities in my constituency i was appalled to learn of the anti-semitism that they have to suffer yeah. on a daily basis often 
Um, and made worse by the recent report into the NUS, the National Union of Students, handling and challenging of anti-Semitism. In the month where we mark Holocaust Memorial Day, I would be interested to hear the Minister's assessment of that NUS report. I thank my wife and friend uh, for, her, for her question. Uh, I've been shocked uh, and sobered by reading this report, that NUS is in, was in essence a hostile place for Jewish students. That's not acceptable. Um, NUS, National Union Student, the main body for students, should be a place that isn't just safe, but a place that is welcoming for Jewish students as well. And uh, the proof of the pudding of this report will be in the eating. I expect to see uh, the changes and the recommendations implemented in full. And once that has occurred, then I will uh, re-engage with the National Union of Students. Andy, this question of medical students is um, a, a real one, isn't it? Because there's been a lot, lot of press over the last um, couple of weeks about the need for new places and Labour starting to talk a lot more about it. Um, this, is, this is kind of one of the new thought lines, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there aren't many new thought lines, I mean, <laughs> in, in the letter. Uh, I mean, set against the kind of standards of recent letters, it's okay, but... You, you, you know the the sort of new bits and interesting bits are sort of few and far between. If you've you know if you ever rocked up to listen to Halfen at party conference as I have on a number of occasions, I've sat on a few panels with him. You know he talks about degree apprenticeships and T levels all the time. Um, I think he still completely misunderstands both in relation to higher education, but that's a slightly different story. But the medical the medical kind of uh, school places obviously has, as you say, become a big issue. Uh, a because of the kind of state of the NHS. Uh, um, brackets terrible um and b because you know solutions are beginning to kind of knock around not just from west streeting and labor but also from the nhs itself <laughs> saying we need more doctors and nurses uh, to be trained in the uk the problem is of course it's very hard to do that i mean creating the capacity in a system where the nhs is pressurized is very tough and summoning up, summoning them up from a, a sector that is facing its own financial challenges. And let's not forget, running a medical school is about the most expensive thing you can do in higher education. And usually depends, even with higher levels of government funding, usually depends on cross-subsidy from elsewhere in the institution. And so, you know, what you've essentially got here is a, a minister asking for one broken system to support another broken system and hope it'll all be OK um, in the wash-up. And it's not going to be. It is noticeable, yeah, that, you know, the kind of, there's, there's always this thing about kind of sort of saying, you don't want, you don't want ministers. It's, it's quite, it's quite nice, isn't it, to see a minister that's not, not trying to interfere. You know, he's not saying, you know, I've been concerned about curriculum or actually, do you know what? I've been thinking we need to have PQA and admissions. You know, he's not, it's, it, in some ways, that's quite helpful. On the other hand, sort of saying, I've noticed that this is going to be a problem. Good luck with that when it comes to, you know, sorting out admissions. Uh, you know, you sort of, you don't want them to interfere, but then you also want, want a bit more constructive, um, support with, with tr kind of trying to figure out the implications as well and it's a, it's a hard hard needle to thread it does signal though doesn't it kind of policy in the freezer by and large on these on these big questions it it doesn't seem to be to be to me to be the harbinger of kind of a, a big new ministerial agenda on on any of these items Anytime no, soon. but that's because there's a lot of other things that haven't fully been been implemented yet. I mean, you know, I, I, of course, it's great that he's not coming in with hundreds of ideas. But, um, you know, as Andy says, he has particular things that he's absolutely passionate about. And, and that's what he's going to kind of flog, as it were. Um, so, so no, it's great that there, there's, there's uh, not too much new because, 
with so many of these things, actually what people need is to kind of um, try and find their way through. I mean, people are still, we are still dealing with the outcome and the fallout from the pandemic. And anyone who thinks that, in a sense, that fallout is over uh, really doesn't understand where where some of the stuff around strikes and all the rest of it is coming from um, and, and what's happening to workforce, you know, generally. So I think, I think a bit of quiet would be really helpful. And um, I'd also say I'm absolutely certain um, in terms of Debbie's point about, you know, oh, I've noticed that there'll be a bit of problem around um, admissions. Uh, good luck with that. Well, that's, that's kind of the point I meant about it being so late because, quite frankly, institutions have been well aware that it's probably still going to be a bit of um, – uh, you know, turbulence in in the system, and that it's it's not going to be easy. Um, and and actually, I think institutions did really rather well in how they managed uh, last year um, from two previous years, where the changes that happened couldn't meant people couldn't plan at all. Um, so I think I think the sector's kind of doing its best and probably knows what it's doing around uh, admissions as much as possible. Also absent from this is anything um, culture warsy, which is kind of a kind of a really. It could have, it could have been it could have it could have could have been so different uh, if if someone else had taken this taken this job instead of Robert Halfman, couldn't it? Yeah, well, give it time. And of course, what you, what you say in a formal letter to vice chancellors might be rather different from what you say in the pages of the Telegraph, and that you know t- was ever thus. But the. I mean, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world for there to be a bit of work on degree apprenticeships. You know, that, you know, I can imagine a sort of, you know, a constructive conversation, maybe a bit of a policy investigation, maybe some kind of tweaks to the system to make them make, make it, you know, make it easier for some universities to deliver them where where there are barriers. I mean, that feels like it could be quite a, a useful chat. But yeah, maybe, maybe Andy, you, 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 you sound more cynical than I do on, on this one. Well, you're right, of course, but um, I mean, the, the first fundamental thing that Halfon knows is that apprenticeships really depend on employers stepping up and offering jobs. Um, the training bit is is secondary to that. So, you know, universities, yeah, absolutely have to play their part in expanding the offer, but it's contingent on other things. And by the way, you know, the same goes for T-levels. You know, they were designed for the workplace, not necessarily for entry to higher education. So, you know, a little bit of realism on both of those things would be welcome. But um, on degree apprenticeships, the, the you know, this is, as, as anyone, I mean, if, if, if universities don't offer them and are thinking of doing so, have a word with your local FE college and just you know find out how insanely bureaucratic they are and how hard they are just, to deliver re- re- returning to that kind of um, you know point again and again and just you know because I think it's, it's sort of clear that everyone likes the idea of apprenticeships you know it's just these that they're really really difficult to deliver yeah and, um, and also and, the you know and, and, and the incentive you know the incentives are not stacked up appropriately no exactly and where the incentives do exist it's for piling through tons of MBAs and managers in existing firms and not 18-year-olds leaving school or college looking for a higher education place. So a, a, another level of honesty might be welcome there too. Yeah, and, and you know, just saying, having, you know, been in an institution that embraced degree apprenticeships because of our connections with businesses that wanted to, to give it a go. And, of course, the NHS is a major, uh, uh, you know, the... the um, nurse associate thing is is a major kind of degree apprenticeship type um, route as well. Um, you know, we had to employ four additional people um, in order to deal with the Ofsted requirements. Um, and that 
if one's uh, you know thinking about efficiency, that's not terribly efficient because those are people who are dealing with that they're, they're not they're not academics teaching. They're people dealing with the requirements of 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 Ofsted, um, so they are in um, a completely different area. And actually, you know, it was entirely new for a university to be dealing with with those kinds of things. So that's another aspect that perhaps one needs to think about. Um, let's see who's been blogging for us this week. In my piece in Wonky this week, I discuss how, as a sector, we should not allow the current focus on evaluation to detract from the nuance and complexity of working in the widening access space. Since John Blake first shared his impact vision for the Office for Students, I've fully supported his calls for more robust and effective evaluation of widening access activities, and I still do. This is crucial. Without it, we run the risk of being a sector full of nice people doing well-intentioned things, with very little tangible evidence of what is really having the biggest impact. My concern is that for some, the increased spotlight on evaluation might lead to a more risk-averse approach, prioritising those interventions which can be neatly boxed and evaluated, rather than those that might be truly transformative. All young people are complex, interesting and diverse individuals, and interventions that work for one might well not work for another. A range of different approaches from different providers is required to create the right circumstances for success. Some work needs to be long-term and multifaceted and not a short fix and simplistic. Working with over 40,000 students each year, our charity is one of the largest providers of access and participation work and we've prioritised robust impact reporting and evaluation. Even so, because we work with young people from the age of seven all the way until 18, and taking a variety of approaches to help them accomplish their ambitions, some interventions are not as easy to measure as others. But we strongly believe they all work together and would not be as effective if delivered in an isolated way without our partners all measured in a vacuum. I'm passionate about bringing about a real and lasting impact in widening access and evaluation absolutely has a major role to play in how we ensure this happens. Now, UCU have announced new strike dates and we've got interesting data about casualisation in the HE workforce. Mary, can you walk us through it? Okay, so um, uh, I think probably most people in in the sector will be aware that UCU has announced 18 days of strikes in February and March, starting on the 1st of February, which the TUC has called as a National Day of Action, because there are going to be lots of other unions going on strike on the 1st of Feb. Um, uh, Those 18 days are... um, uh, not all the dates are announced yet, um, uh, so watch the space. Wonky's always really good at at uh, telling us when things like that are happening. Um, if you are not watching the UCU website the whole time, which I know that PVC's education are, and I know quite a number of them are feeling 
um, really worried about um, the, the, the number of strike days that are coming through. But in fact, this is the result of um, quite a bit of debate within UCU about what the right approach is. Um, and it, it, it could have been, there could have been a lot more strikes than in fact they've announced. I think uh, we, we, we ought to be uh, aware of it. And it's part of um, something that Andy said uh, earlier on, you know, same old um, uh, things. It's uh, part of the ongoing dispute over pay and pensions and concern over conditions. And I'll come to that in a sec. The conditions thing, I think, is 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 a is is a, a real issue, and and we shouldn't just think it's about pay. Um, interestingly, for me, I think is is actually the. Um, uh, uh, Public and Commercial Services Union is also going on strike. And of course, they are the union that deals with um, the departments, so Bayes and, and DFE, um, UKRI, OFS, um, Higher Education Funded Council for uh, Wales, uh, the Student Loan Company, Skills Development Scotland, and and yeah. So so it's not just UCU um, that will be going on strike, although UCU has the 18 days. But I was really interested in looking at the fact that the mandate for strike at the Office for Students was really high, as was in the Student Loan Company, as was in the DfE, as was um, in Bayes. In fact. Bayes was 90%. The Office for Students was 87%. So that's a strong mandate and, in fact, stronger um, than uh, UCU. So it's very interesting to see that um, uh, other parts of, of uh, uh, um, uh, the sector, as it were, um, is also going to be affected by, by strikes. But, I mean, you know, I think the major thing in terms of universities, and I do think this has got worse um, since the pandemic is that the sense of community is really under threat in the sector. Um, we, we, we've seen just in the last couple of days, HESA data coming out, which has said that there's been a major increase, a, a kind of 20% plus increase in zero hour contracts in the sector. Now, this is something the sector kind of promised that they'd start working on and reducing. Um, I, I have to say, I think it must be because of partly of the turbulence that we've we've seen. Um, they've needed to bring in people really quick um, in order to deal with uh, uh, new things that have emerged, additional students, and so on. Um, but also, the sector is not really tackling underrepresentation of, um, for example, black staff in leadership positions. So, um, really shocking that if you actually look at the number of black professors, it's only increased by five in uh, in the last year. And just quickly. Um, some other research on kind of um, uh, staffing issues in higher education. There's been a real jump in the number of staff who are saying that they will leave their roles in the the next 24 months from 3% to 6% um, saying they, they would leave. And um, uh, okay, you know, we know that part of that is being driven by over 50s who are wanting a better work-life balance. But the high, it's the ad for the young uh, members of staff in universities, the 19 to 26-year-olds, they are at their highest um, ever for saying that they want to leave in the next two years. 
Um, and and I, I do think that there's a real challenge here about how people are feeling um, you know, it's not just obviously in higher education. Um, it's 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 clearly um, really bad across the whole country, um, which is why we're having so many strikes. But it is an issue for the sector as well. Andy, to to what extent is is this kind of main industrial action in the sector um, kind of particular to HE or or just part of this kind of wider industrial unrest that we have in in this country for you know kind of macro economic reasons? Yeah, well, it's both, isn't it? And it's, it, I mean, I think the, the difficulty at the moment is, is like those other industrial disputes across the UK, it's just very hard to be optimistic here and increasingly difficult to see a way out of it. You know, there's no doubt working conditions are deteriorating, as, as you know, Mary points to the HESA data rightly. There's no doubt real, tam- real terms pace falling and kind of inflation's obviously got a lot to do with that, but it's not just inflation. Um, and the pension reforms in, in my view over the last few years have been handled really, really badly and, uh, and, and, you know, need, need revisiting. Now, you know, of course, on the other side, you can see that, and we've already discussed it, universities are under huge financial pressure. Inflation is, is in, uh, affecting them, uh, in exactly the same way. Increasing costs, frozen tuition fees for another two years. No signs of any increases on the horizon. You know, it, it's 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 very difficult to see, as I say, a way out of this. And um, if you add to that the fact that all those places that universities have gone for kind of cross-subsidy, whether it be international students, which are now being squeezed, or cross-subsidy from within the institution, all of those are pretty much models that are at the end of the line. And um, and if that if that's not enough, the government doesn't really care. <laughs> And uh, and it's badly managing the sector, and and that's that's part of it. That's that's reinforcing the problem in the same way that it is with the railways, the NHS, schools, and so on and so on. Um, there's also, I mean, there's, there's interesting data isn't there about the um, public support for strikes. So, I mean, at the very top of the the top of the tree is nurses, and then it's kind of it goes down quite quite sharply after that and um university lecturers are somewhere around barristers with you know very very small amounts of kind of wider wider public support i've got a theory um that that despite that universities are basically one of the bits of the economy that is actually working basically so you know you look around and you know trains are not not running whether or not there's industrial action um obviously the nhs is in you know complete crisis um universities are by and large getting on with it and and people don't seem people people aren't aren't kind of particularly worried about about them um and you know efforts to kind of drum up concerns about you know cultural war issues and things like that aside um it isn't you know i don't think there's a there's a kind of mass of people that that seem to kind of worry about universities and there's a good there's a good story to tell isn't there debbie about you know look we're basically running our sector you know despite all of this and it's sort of just about working i mean you know give or take and I mean, I know I am. I can be. I can sometimes be a bit Pollyanna-ish about you know. I'm sure. I'm sure the future will be better. But I, I do think there's something here that that you know when you when you look at um, universities' ability to cope, um, which is admirable. I think it's 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 fair to say. But then when you um, triangulate that with the data on rise of zero hours contracts, um, 
for example, I think what we're seeing, and, and I think that kind of public perception point is quite pertinent, because of course, that's not what the public is seeing, you know, when they think of lecturers, they think of kind of, you know, well-heeled people in, 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 in um, what, what they sort of imagine to be kind of comfortable offices and, uh, you know, you know, all, all the rest of it. So, you know, they're, they're not thinking about, about kind of junior, um, you know, early career, uh, casualized, very precarious staff. And, and of course, no, Vice Chancellor will, you know, or, you know, university leader wants to kind of put people in a precarious job situation, but the level of structural change that would be required to kind of create um, the sort, the sorts of kind of staff communities that would be would be needed to kind of avoid that, I think, just is is too great in you know in this context. So I think I think you know, and I, I think there's a real question here about how universities communicate their situation because obviously the you know for the past. You know, for, for the best part of the last decade, universities have, have sort of tried to insist um, that they're not awash with cash. Um, I think perhaps the real kind of human cost of universities not, not only not being awash with cash, but but genuinely struggling. And I think it's very hard for a university to say we we are not we are not coping. Um, but the, the kind of the consequence of that is is that is that that is that there is an impact on staff and how you how you square that circle. You know and. So yeah, it's it 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 is it is really really challenging. Yeah, it's definitely worse than you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say that from inside, <laughs> but it's yeah. I you think know. I think it it is, and I I also think that you know um, uh, when we talk about universities, it's really important that we actually talk about the fact that these are communities. And why am I I keep going on about that? Is that you know you have you have um, you have HR professionals, you have finance, you have accountants, you 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 have um, technicians, you you have uh, cleaning staff and porters, and you know. So um, uh, when when you're talking about uh, universities, you're talking about the full range of 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 people in in society, um, you know. And I I think that that is often not understood, and and you know they are. Um, they're large organisations, and they are the size of of you know um, uh, towns <laughs> um, often in in that context. And helping those people to get along and to rub along well uh, is really really crucial. Um, and they are experiencing the same challenges that anyone else in our society is is experiencing. And we need we need to be telling that story more. You know, they are your neighbours, um, whoever you are. Well, I mean, Mary, I'm really curious because um, when you think about, it, and it's noticeable, we've had a few, a few, a few vice chancellor resignations lately, and I don't know if that's kind of a, a straws in the wind thing, or if you know, if it's a sort of just into Arden, you know, people are very tired, and, and actually we're going to see quite a lot, you know, a bit, a bit more exiting from the sector at the kind of senior level. But you know, you work with um, aspiring emerging leaders when they look at. Um, they look at that question of kind of kind of how, as a leader, can you know, can, can I can I foster the sense of community? How can I uh, <laughs> essentially handle some of these really serious systemic problems that the sector is facing? You know, do they feel optimistic? Do they feel capable? Or do they, you know, are they are they are they sort of prepared to you know come up come up with fresh ways of achieving this community that we feel feels like so kind of uh, precarious right now? 
I mean, you know, I, I have to say this is one of the greatest privileges of my life to be working with the next generation of, of um, potential leaders in higher education. And it, it is something I really wanted to do because I think these people are, are enormously important um, because they are they face both ways. They 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 look after their community of 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 um, subject experts or of um, professional uh, service experts, and um, they they also uh, you know uh, are are excellent in 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 communicating with with senior leaders and so they face both ways and 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 I think in many ways it's one of the most challenging roles that you can have and it's not the same as being a middle manager in another industry because um, higher education is all about debate discussion the why um, and you know it doesn't matter if you are a line manager um, actually people in higher education need need to uh, engage in discussion before they'll be happy um, to to move forward with one thing or another thing um, so it's a really pivotal role I'm, I've been hugely impressed with um, the the level of uh, determination and commitment that I see. I don't see um, simple bubbly optimism. I do see, um, uh, uh, you know, determination to make things work. And so many of these these people saying, I've come into this role because I want to make sure that people, you know, um, uh, people are looked after. I want to look after my discipline. I I I, I want to see my students thrive. Um, so you know, it's quite. It's not altruistic. They're paid, of course, but you know the 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 commitment is is phenomenal. And yeah, I'm I'm blown away with 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 that actually. That's, yeah, it's really fascinating. And, and what about the, the this question about vice chancellors? Is there a pattern here? Mm. Um, well, you know, I think you go through peaks and troughs of resignations of vice chancellors. And um, of course, you know, you, you work up through your career and it takes a certain amount of time. So by the time you become a vice chancellor, um, you know, you're unlikely to be that young, um, if I can just put it that way. Um, and so it is. It is quite generational, um, and this is, um, for me, you know, being close to it, the kind of third wave, <laughs> uh, of which I consider myself to be part of that third wave. And I don't know if it's a Japanese wave that we're kind of going to get um, tsunami washed away, sort of thing. But I, I do see this happening in waves. So yes, there there are quite a lot. Um, happening now is that directly related to the pandemic? Well, the pandemic won't have helped. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, if just speaking personally, I had already handed in my notice to my chair before the pandemic struck, and and she said, "Oh, just give me a little while to to get my you know ducks in a row before we announce." But that when we were going to announce was the week after. Uh, the first lockdown. So I just said, look, we can't do this. And I stayed for a further two years. Um, so in all, I did 12 years as, as vice chancellor, which I really do think is long enough for any organization to put up with a vice chancellor, actually. Um, but 
I, I think that it will have contributed because it wasn't great, quite frankly. You know, you would walk around the campus. It was like tumbleweed. It was horrible. And, you know, you're constantly worried about, about your poor students who, um, in, in certainly in our case, all came back to stay in res. They, they, they did not um, just go home. They came back having gone home because they, they felt they couldn't study at home. Um, so, you know, what can we do when they're stuck in their residences to make life a bit better? So it wasn't great, I don't think, for, for anyone. But I think it's also generational, Mark, actually. Mm. I think, it, you, you know, if you're, if you're sort of, let's say, well-established as a vice-chancellor, you've been in the role for sort of, you know, a few years and you kind of, you know, you look, you look at the horizon, you look at the next three years, it, looks, it does look pretty grim. <laughs> um, so if you if you you know if you've gone into Christmas after after a very tough uh, COVID kind of period, so certainly for anybody in office during that uh, time, you, you, you know you kind of think, well, okay, I, I, maybe I'd have lasted a little bit longer under different circumstances. But um, as I say, look ahead for the next kind of two or three years, and you just think this is going to get tougher and tougher. Uh, no, I, I completely agree with you, Andy. I think. Um, you know the the situation in terms of because you know I, I I feel that demands for higher pay are entirely legitimate in the kind of you know uh, situation the the country is in and people seeing their their lifestyles being really eaten into and people being worried about mortgages and you know all that kind of thing so so I completely understand it but actually I don't think universities have that much freedom to be able to 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 do too much about that because actually i think well some institutions could dig into reserves could 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 do that kind of thing but actually a lot of institutions aren't in that place now it's time for play your data right here to set this week's statistical conundrum it's wonky's associate editor david kernahan welcome to play your data right the podcast segment that works exactly the same way as an 80s game show you may have seen, apart from instead of using playing cards, we use Leo data. This time I'm looking at median salary data five years after graduation for male and female graduates, and this is a multi-year average this time. Uh, the first combination of provider and subject area is engineering at York. The median salary there is... £35,900. Is the median salary for computing at Oxford Brooks higher or lower? That's a tough one. Uh, I, as with everything on Leo, I always think about geography, even though kind of nobody else does. Um, but I'm going to go engineering at York. The answer is higher. The median salary for computing at Oxford Brooks five years after graduation for male and female graduates is £42,300. That's substantially higher than engineering at York, which was £35,900. How did you get on at home? Hi, it's Jim from the team here with news of the secret life of students. Back for its fourth year, we're going to take the opportunity to get real about students, bringing together sector leaders and managers, as well as student leaders and students union managers, to get an accurate and unvarnished picture of the student condition in 2023, so we can work out how to respond rather than just react. 
Shifting from a surface-level understanding of student satisfaction with services to a deeper understanding of their motivations, ambitions and lives can be hugely rewarding and important both for them and those supporting them. It's also vital in an age that seems quick to assume, judge and condemn students rather than listen, understand and act on their concerns. So at the event, we'll be asking questions like, what are students doing when they're not in the classroom? Where is the line between their desire to collaborate and regulations that ban collusion? Is it true they're not prepared to debate and discuss controversial issues? Why do they rate assessment and feedback so badly on the NSS? And how many are confident about being real students, let alone what comes next? On the day, we'll feature key findings into the student experience from the past year. We'll launch exciting new research into the student learning experience beyond the classroom. And we'll launch our new Student Insights platform, Belong, a wonky group GTI initiative. And we'll share the first findings from its research. It's an essential event for anyone working on policy and delivery for students. That's the secret life of students. London, March the 14th. We'd love to see you there. Go to wonky.com forward slash events and book now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The heads of national groups are calling for an inquiry into the Office of Students. Um, Andy, walk us through that. Okay, so I think this is quite interesting. I mean, in line with lots of the things we've discussed so far about bits of the sector, whether it be funding or industrial relations being broken, here's a here's a kind of third leg to that stool. Um, the Russell Group, University Alliance, Million Plus and Guild HE uh, have written to uh, the chair of the Education Select Committee, Robin Walker, saying there should be an inquiry into the Office for Students. And I think by extension, the whole regulatory approach to HE in England and basically they're saying it's not really fit for purpose um the the killer the killer line in the letter uh, such an inquiry could assess whether it has succeeded <laughs> uh, and whether it has the confidence of the sector in the way it carries out its regulatory duties now y- you know uh, if you look at the way the mission groups work in higher education of course they are the voices of uh, um, the vice chancellors as as their individual members and basically what this is saying is that OFS isn't working in their view it doesn't have their confidence and they don't think it succeeded so uh, um, you, you know just as we've already described the kind of broken nature of funding in higher education and the kind of uh, uh, rather lamentable state of industrial re- relations here's a you know here's another one to chuck in that direction we've got a regulatory system that isn't fit for purpose either and no university appears to think that it is so 
So another problem uh, to add to our lengthening list, and maybe another reason why lots of uh, vice chancellors and others are, are saying, I can't be done with this. Though, mm, mm. so, I mean, we've talked about this a bit on the podcast before, well, quite a lot, actually. Uh, Mary, do you think it's a, it's a kind of reasonable, reasonable charge? Um, I think it's reasonable to request a review of the Office for Students, um, not least because any good practice would say, well, okay, it's been operating for, um, you know, for going on, on, on five years now. Um, you know, let's, let's take a look. Um, uh, and, and that would be good practice, actually. Um, so, so I think even at that level, it, it, it would be worth doing. Um, is regulation working? Well, um, I, it, it is in bits, uh, but it's in bits as well. If I can, if I can, if I can put it that way, I, 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 I do think it, um, and I think the the level of distrust between, the office of students on the one hand and institutions on the other is is really not helpful at all um and i i don't really see i know they've got a student panel but i don't really see where the student voice really is and and it's a complete misnomer actually yeah i mean two 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 quick things i'd add really one is this this mirrors quite nicely the uh, OFS's kind of opening sort of communication to universities back in the days of its formation where it said you know, we're not going to be your friend like Hefke. And, uh, and you know, a few years down the track, here are the universities saying, well, we're not your friends yeah. either. They weren't, they, were, they, weren't, they, they weren't lying about that, though, were they? No, they weren't, they weren't lying. Yeah. And so, so, so it's quite neat in, in that respect. But I think the other thing to say is that, you, you, you know, and I think, I think the, the OFS has a, a, it was always a tricky job. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that work with the OFS that work for the OFS or have worked for the OFS that I've got a lot of time for. But the problem is the model has always been too narrow. It's never, it's never really been the right model for running higher education in, in England. Um, and, and really kind of, it's always struggled with that. And I think, I think the reality is, is that it's days are numbered really on that basis it's it, you know it was arguably it was never fit for the purpose that it was set out for and um and and we're, we're just coming to the kind of point where um something's going to have to come along and replace it so andy do you think that this letter from the different mission groups is actually um as much a statement to you know people thinking about higher education um, in any manifestos and thinking about that kind of thing. Do you think it's as much about thinking about the future as it is expecting to get a review now? Yeah, I think it, I think that's exactly what it is. I think it's a, a, a marker in the ground saying kind of, you know, we've got to think beyond this. Um, so, you know, a review is a quite polite way of, of saying that. Um, but um, as I say, between the lines, it's it's not that polite at all. It's interesting then, isn't it, that Universities UK isn't a signatory? Because actually, because well, that, that sort of blurring between representative body and mission group, and Gildichi, of course, is technically a representative body, but it's kind of aligning itself with mission groups for these purposes. Um, you know, I, and you know, and, and I, I find it very hard to believe that there hasn't been some quite detailed conversation behind the scenes that sort of says, "Look, we're going out like this." You know, should you, you know, you know, and 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 Viv at UK will have had to sort of think quite carefully about where UK positions itself in relation to, um, you know, does it come out against the regulator essentially, or does it kind of keep its powder dry, perhaps with a view to 
kind of trying to kind of move things forward in, in, a, in a more moderate way. And, and, you know, and it will almost certainly be absolutely strategic <laughs> rather than, as, opposed, as opposed to, you know, that the mission group sort of went off and did their thing. Um, so, you know, I think, I think, I think, I think you know, the, whether or not there is an inquiry, I suspect that this kind of, this, this will unfold further. It's a, um, it's a, of course, it's, a, it's tricky for Universities UK, as lots of things are. But, um, you know, let's not, let's not kind of forget that kind of most of the members of the mission groups are, are, are also the most of the members of <laughs> Universities so, UK. Just, so I don't think we should get, <laughs> I, I don't think we should get too wrapped up in them not being there. You, you know, the, the members voice about how they're being regulated on a day to day basis is clear. And they're not happy with it. And so, you know, but I think, Mary, you're absolutely right. I think this is a this is a kind of marker for the future. And, and I think kind of what what lots of institutions are saying here, uh, and this is my interpretation, is that is that going forward, we need to we need to look at this. It hasn't really worked as an approach to the sector because so much is kind of sidelined in it and we need to think rather more holistically about the role of universities what students want from them um, and uh, and many other things besides so that's about it for this week remember to dig a bit deeper into anything we discussed today you'll find links in the show notes on wonky.com don't forget you can get the latest show automatically when it's out just search for the wonky show wherever you get your podcasts and to find out about how we can keep you and your organisation ahead of everything that's going on in UKHE, do head to the website to find out more about our subscriptions. So thanks very much to Andy, Mary, Debbie, and our news editor, Michael Salmon, who makes the show happen behind the scenes. We'll be back next week. See you then. Music